It was December 24th on Halles Avenue in the dark when I saw a man chilling with his dog in the park. I approached very slowly with my heart full of fear, looked at his dog. Oh my God, an ill reindeer. That is Christmas in Hollis by the the Troubadours, Run DMC. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the perfect song to begin our retrospective of 2017, a year defined by video games' very own Troubadours. I'm talking your EAs, your Ubisofts, your Microsofts, any other softs? Uh, Bethesda. Never softs. Bethesda Softworks. <laughs> Never soft, that's right. You never softs. All of those voracious readers and storytellers who have really come to define popular culture and the way that we see the world over the past 12 months. I'm being facetious, of course. It's been a complete joke. I'm Ed Smith. <laughs> this is Bullet Points. I'm joined, as per usual, by Reed McCarter. Ho, ho, ho. And ho, ho, ho to you. Read. How, ho ho ho. How's Christmas shaping up in Canada this year? Um we don't have Christmas anymore in Canada. We uh voted to remove it this year. Uh as part of the ongoing war on Christmas, we decided that uh Christmas actually was defeated in a decisive battle in Parliament Hill this morning. So it's with a heavy heart that I join you today. Um uh, to to say that in in Canada Christmas is cancelled. That's a that's a great shame. What will you be doing instead on Christmas? Playing some video games, I hope. <laughs> yeah, fucking right, I will. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's the season of giving. I'm gonna I'm gonna give headshots to some noobs. You know. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. It's gonna log on and just poon some little can, elves. Can you, you know. That's great, but can you make sure that you you film it and then commentate over it? And then publish it on your website every day in lieu of um, well-written articles. Can you make sure that you do that? <laughs> can, uh, can you can you substitute writing by qualified professionals with individuated and interesting perspectives on modern games? Can you can we get rid of all of them and can we just put that video of you on there instead? Because I mean, it is 2017. It sounds like you got something on your mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like I've got some sort of point. Um, anyway, Astrid, how about you? What are you doing for Christmas? So, same same um, depressing shit? <laughs> I, I'm going to buy a console for my children, but first, I'm going to set it up for them because you need to update your consoles before you give them to the kids so they don't have to wait around in the menus before they fucking start playing their games. And I just want everyone... To do that because it's extremely important what? as dads, which we all are in games, <laughs> we're all dads. I remember, I remember uh, you just need yeah. to keep that in mind. I remember getting my PlayStation 3 and sitting it down, turning it on, and it needed to update. And I picked it up and I said to my dad, I'm throwing this right through the fucking window, this piece of plastic bollocks, and just threw it through a closed window. Yeah, so good advice, Astrid. Uh, we're also joined by Josh Kalista, writer for Kotaku and Rolling Stone. Josh, first of all, how's it going? Doing pretty well, Ed. How are you? 10 on 10, as usual. 10 on 10, G-O-T-Y, as per. Um, <laughs> how are you spending Christmas in, I forgot what part of the world? I'm in uh, sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm going to 
you know, be doing the usual, sneaking away to play some JRPGs uh, that have you know, really big anime boobs in them, but <laughs> looking looking away whenever there's a female character on the screen. <laughs> what I like about games, especially at this time of year, is that they mean you don't have to spend any time with loved ones or family. Um, yeah, it's one of their, That's right. One of their yeah. best and most redeeming qualities is the isolation that they encourage. Well, that's a that's actually a bit misleading, Ed, because, um, you know, you talk about loved ones and family, but uh, I don't know if you are familiar with my family, my community, if you will, mm. which is fellow mm. gamers, which too often, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, the traditional family structures tell you don't spend time with your loved ones at Christmas, don't log on to Xbox Live, don't, <laughs> don't, you know, send messages on PSN, don't do any of this, and I say, this is... This is a time for togetherness. This is a time for family, and this is my family. Yeah, I I have stockings on my mantle with the names of the members of my fire team. <laughs> <laughs> Never had four stockings contain so many X's. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got them all loot boxes this year. Um, I don't I don't know what's in them. I just got them, and they'll open them, and we'll all find out. Um, Anyway, so that's that's all the humour for this episode done. That's oh, done. That's all, the le- that's all the levity finished. Let's let's get down to business now, which is retroactively discussing what I personally think is the worst year in video games since I started working in video games some five years ago. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to run the year down. I think month. I, I mean, like run the year down as in discuss it, not in a car month on month and talk about the biggest releases of this year and discuss whether they were good, whether they were bad emerging trends from the year, things that happened that made us question games maybe culturally or, or feel better about games culturally, our own person all that stuff, just the general what was your year like in games, so let's start with January because um, that that was the first month So, <laughs> sorry actually Ed is pronounced first quarter Ah yeah, sorry yeah. Let's start with yeah. Let's start with month one Q one. Um, <laughs> I suppose the biggest game that month. Anyone who's got you know a counterpoint, but the first thing maybe to talk about is the first game I think I played this year was Resident Evil Seven. It was the first game from this year that I played this year, and we 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 talked about this yeah. already. Did we do a, an episode on this game? What did we do? Yeah, a month? yeah, we did. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Um, Thoroughly. Yeah, and I seem to recall. We weren't that into it. I mean, I, see, I, I can definitely recall that I wasn't. Um, but, but because obviously we didn't have Josh during our Resident Evil Seven month, I'm going to throw it to him first. And Josh, you know, it's January. Tr- <laughs> Trump's just been inaugurated. You've got Resident Evil Seven. What were your feelings around that time? <laughs> oh man. So when I was playing this game, I was thinking a lot about the age of Trump. You know, this new era we find ourselves in. Um. It, isn't that actually a conversation that was had like a lot with regards to this game? Yes. That like yeah. actually colored a lot of how people talked about it. Your enemies are made up of deplorables. Yeah, because it's, it's right, in the, right in the, in the rural south. And uh, Reed, I think you talked about this on the show when we when we did a show dedicated to Resident Evil Seven. That, but perhaps in the main menu or in the credits or something, you know, a bible appears. I mean, it's the only it's lip service. Um, mm-hmm. And it invites perhaps some people to, to start to consider Resident Evil Seven as some sort of parable or reflection of the kind of people that 
might have voted for Trump and how did they get into this position um, that wasn't the experience I had with it I don't know about you Josh yeah no I think like discussing it now that angle just seems very like okay yeah clearly Trump just got elected and that's what everybody was thinking about at the time yeah um, but it actually does yeah fuck that it doesn't really make sense talking about now <laughs> well what do you think what do you think of the game yeah generally? did you like it oh um it no th- not really especially not in <laughs> retrospect like i think the first hour or so is like interesting enough mm-hmm. uh but after that it really falls off and it's just it it's, it doesn't even feel as good to play as resident evil 4 did which is like you know everyone's like it's such a return to form for the for the series but mm-hmm. it, it it's not in a literal sense or in a figurative sense a return to form for resident evil because it didn't feel good it was kind of a joke and it wasn't actually like funny the way that it felt like it was trying to be in a lot of spaces which i uh i appreciated that it was going for some sort of like ham-fisted pulp stuff but it didn't really pull it off well one of the one of the things i maintain about the original resident evil resident evil 2 and 4 is that although their plots are so very basic they're actually quite efficiently told i think in resident evil 4 you have a really iron sense of where you're going and why and the characters who you're fighting the enemies are reasonably tangible and memorable you know you remember the little giggling salazar you remember the big guy with the beard they've they've got there's some cohesion there's something whereas the games like resident evil 5 and 6 and revelations and um that other one like umbrella ops or whatever the hell is when the whole series started to get really mired in plot and explanation and files and lore and backstory and when people started talking about resident evil 7 as a return to form for resident evil i i that was one of the main things that i found difficult to to buy about argument because resident evil 7 was really mired in talk and again backstory like all these really confusing explanations for what was going on it was a really simple sort of horror extravaganza it should have been but it was really, really talky and bloviating and sort of turgid. Yeah, especially at the end, right? When you really, it's like the the dawning horror of realizing that it was going to take you into labs and explain how all of this connects yeah. back to the rich Resident Evil fictional universe. Mm. Which, <laughs> oh man! But it, it's like what Josh was saying. I think the first you know half hour hour of that game is is pretty effective it's mm-hmm. not uh it's not mind-blowing or anything but it's it's good and kind of creepy and uh i don't know it just doesn't seem like a resident evil game uh in like a one-to-one sense mm. but and some of the videotape yeah. stuff was like clever yeah um, like that stuff that they had in that little demo thing they put out before like from the very beginning where you're oh i didn't play that i thought it was clever but, but like uninteresting which one? The the videotapes, the all the all the extra tapes that you found in Resident Evil Seven, the stealth sections and the puzzle sections that you can do kind of optionally, they were interesting, well clever, but I, I found them very dull. Like a lot of sneaking, a lot of picking up objects and moving them around, a lot. Of, yeah. It, it felt really stale. To yeah. Me. Yeah, I think that stuff is like conceptually like really rich, but they don't exploit it. No. To the extent that I wish they would. I know there's some, like, there's some DLCs that you can get that, like, 
uh, it's like more videotape stuff, but after playing this game, the last thing I wanted to do was like buy more of it. So I haven't I haven't played any of that. So maybe it's brilliant. I played all of it. Oh wow, okay. I didn't like any of it, to be honest. Okay. Um <laughs> as a professional video game player, I was uh I did not purchase it, you know. Got it. I have to pu- I yeah. have to put that at the bottom. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, or else the FCC is going to get me. Mm. Um <laughs> but no, it's it doesn't it's just more of the same stuff but without any of the heart kind of I don't know. Okay. It's uh for true for true fans only. 7 out of 10. <laughs> I suppose we should we've got a you know we've got a lot of ground to cover and since we've already spent a month on Resident Evil 7. You can go back and, yeah. and, and look that stuff over. I think we we had a good variety of articles on that game. I want to jump then to um I think we've all played it. Yakuza 0. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. J- Josh Oh yeah, I've played Yakuza. Okay, okay. Hell so yeah. we've all played Yakuza Zero. Uh, right, well, this time let's start with Astrid. Thoughts? Um, I love this game. This is going to be like probably my most positive comment on any game this year because I think it's like um, it sort of strikes the perfect balance of like the game is very cleverly written. It's actually funny. There's like visual gags. There's dialogue gags. It's just it has a really good sense of like the tone that's trying to strike, which um, sort of veers between like goofball shit and then like hardcore like yakuza intrigue, like guys getting beat up by like a gang of yakuza who like yell at them for not bringing the money or whatever, and then you're like managing a cabaret in like a really like glitzy mini game, and the game just like. It sort of effortlessly ties that stuff together and it never feels like I don't I feel like the the idea of like tonal shifts has become sort of like a critical meme where it's like if something is not completely even the whole way through that that's like somehow a knock against it but I think Yakuza proves that the more variety you have in a game like this where it's like semi open world and it's sort of a long story with a lot of detours like the more variety you have in the narrative styles and the gameplay and stuff it really is what keeps you going, I think. So it's good. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, Josh. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent And like, I also feel like tonally it shifts into like trying to be really profound about things, and I think sometimes actually succeeding with that stuff, which I find interesting because a lot of the time that stuff comes off to me as cheesy or like forced. And even in this scenario where you know they're they're just lodging it between this really hilarious comical like like ridiculous sections um it still makes a lot of sense to me and still was pretty effective in a lot of cases and then also just like the plot lines they're putting into the story are just like just nothing nothing else you would see in any other game uh just and i I love it i love the directions that they go in it read i'm uh i don't know I like this game. I don't think it's... So I've, I've played all the Yakuza games. I'm a, I'm a real yak head, you know? And I've, <laughs> I've kept up over the years. Um, and I think this one is... It, it's probably good to play this without playing the other ones. And just sort of... It, it has sort of a, a tighter story. Um, 
a lot of them get really kind of like meandering and sort of uh, excruciatingly like drawn out in the last act and this one I think avoids that for the most part but I don't know no I don't know I don't want to knock it too much I don't <clears throat> I don't feel like it I think the things that I'm not thrilled about with it are, are just always Yakuza things I, I think so. yeah I mean oh, sorry you've played like you've played like six of these right like yeah and they all sort of have they share like a really similar structure yeah so like i have i've played like a bit of some of the older ones but i certainly i'm not the uh i'm not the oya boon like you are <laughs> that's that's right that's right i'm the dragon of sitting in front of my tv for 40 hours in a row playing these <laughs> games um i think one thing is uh, it seems to be because i don't know people like yakuza zero a lot and it seems to people excuse a lot of stuff in it that i think would not fly in other games uh we get crucified for it you know stuff like you pick up little porno things to keep in your little collection and i think the cabaret club stuff is i don't know it's it seems pretty like sleazy to me in a game that's supposed to be about you know trying to find humanity in this hyper-capitalist 1980s Japan and then you go and you are sort of like buying and selling women's attention to to dudes. I, I don't know. It's not... I'm not going to like stand up in some soapbox and say it's absolutely horrible or something, but it just it seems kind of like incongruent. Like it's it's thrown in this game as a way to, I don't know, give series fans something to jerk off to, I guess. And it's like... Would counter- you call it problematic, Reed? I would call it. I would. I would put a capital P on it and uh, a hashtag in front of it. So, I, I don't know. I've seen people. I think I agree with you that a lot of things in Yakuza Zero that sort of tread the line of like, sort of like laddish misogyny or possible satire have gotten a pass on the the latter half of that equation like they sort of get read as either goofball or maybe satirical whereas other games that have been maybe similarly cavalier about like gender relations and stuff like that have gotten like slammed for it but i also think that like i don't know i wrote a piece about yakuza for uh heterotopias which is our friend gareth damian martin's like architecture and games website and i talked about like the i think the cabaret club stuff is like it fits into a reading of the game as about like this sort of brutal yoke of capitalism and that you end up sort of shoving that off on these people that you manage but that is like sort of a i don't know that doesn't yeah i don't it doesn't it doesn't need excusing but like that's sort of like a a critical way of uh fitting it into a thematic reading and maybe people just don't want to play through those sections because they are they're a little like iffy, maybe. I, I still think they're like good-hearted, though. I don't know. I didn't find the cabaret club, the collectible cards, the slightly voyeuristic side missions where you're assisting a dominatrix or anything like that particularly uh, egregious. For me, yeah, the the thing that really and it it. it it pertains to a problem I had with Yakuza 0 generally. This is the first and the only Yakuza game that I've played, so I was experiencing all of its kind of idiosyncrasies for the first time as a series. 
And there are, I can only think of one, I can only bring one to mind right now, but there were a couple of characters, male characters, who, let's talk about Awano. Awano is one of the sort of Yakuza underbosses. He wears a purple jacket and has slicked back hair. And he is one of the antagonists. And in one sequence, at kind of midpoint in the game, to make a point about how he's not to be fucked with, he shoots a stripper and kills her. And Oh yeah. And then later in the game, during this sort of climactic battle, Awano realizes that he actually has a huge amount of respect for the central character and comes to his aid and saves right. his life and is thus by the game redeemed. And this happens to a few of the male characters. They do something really terrible to a young woman and then they do something that's in keeping with the sort of Yakuza honor system and are thus by the story and by the game and supposedly by the audience's estimation redeemed. And I, I'm not going to use those sort of buzzwords of like troubling or problematic but I, I, it, it just felt immature and like an oversight and a bit ugly that it was alright to kill women and then they get this sort of heroic moment at the end and what they've done before becomes ignorable. The other thing mm-hmm. I found about Yakuza 0 was what kind of what you were saying really I, my god did that game just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking and keep talking and it's I mean, one of the better ones for that too the amount of the amount of dialogue the amount of twists upon twists upon twists the again the, the sort of turgidness the turgidity the the length of it it really <laughs> the, really the it turgid stopped, length Ed. the turgid the turgid <laughs> thick girthsome length is zero i you know, you would read about that game at this in sort of the early part of this year, and and you'd pl- put it into your PlayStation, and you, you know, you'd be ready to sort of drop to one knee at this amazing feat of video game storytelling based on what you'd read. I I did not have that experience at all. I felt like I was playing, you know, an unedited Hideo Kojima game, i.e., a, a Hideo Kojima game. I, I thought it was just a, a really. It, there were moments of brilliance. There were hilarious moments, insightful moments, romantic moments caricaturful moments and I really liked as well I think it had this really sort of sly and interesting and and cool and fun um, treatise if you like or appropriation of 80s monetary culture whereby when Mm -hmm. you want to upgrade your character you literally hold down a button to pump money into yourself yeah and there's just like cash like flying cash flying everywhere and every fight there's cash flying everywhere and and every character the the sort of the the intrigue that that astrid mentioned earlier on the intrigue is that every character in this game be it as a yakuza member as a member of the sex trade as a nightclub owner as like a dancer as an actor as a something everyone is trying to kind of get ahead everybody wants some in yakuza zero and there's this great implication of a competitive and doggy dog cutthroat 1980s culture and I, I really like that I thought it was a, a, a heavily political game that you'd never necessarily notice as a heavily political game but yeah. it was prolonged and uh, bellicose bellicose what's the word I'm looking for uh, garrulous excuse me and just so wrapped up in like you know no one dies or they die and then they come back and it's constantly tiptoeing around the fact that it doesn't want to let you as your character kill anybody but you have these fights where you're smashing people's heads in with bats but they always get up out it just becomes like nonsense it starts to become nonsense the amount of characters who died in combat the amount of characters who betray and then unbetray and then rebetray and then unbetray the amount of fights where it's dramatic 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 everyone's going to die and no one dies and then you have to fight mm-hmm. them again and no one dies it was just no it was like a, a soap opera 
nothing ended, nothing settled. And the fact that there are six of these things doesn't surprise <laughs> me, basically, because the style of this game was just, we're, we're just going to keep going, we're just going to keep talking. And I, I, I found it, the first, like, ten hours, really great, really strong, really, really great characters. And after that, I, I sort of exponentially lost interest. So, uh, a flawed masterpiece? <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to February. Let's, get, let's, just, let's just go to February. So, there's a few things we could talk about in February. Now, I've not played Neo or Nio or Neo. I haven't either. Ni- okay, okay. If we've, if we've only got half the team at best on that one, then let's leave that. Has, um, well, but hold on, though. Can, can we get a one sentence if Astrid or Josh have played it? I have not. I played like several of the demos i don't know it doesn't seem like count yeah cover you get like a little you get like a spirit dog Mm. that like helps you out it's all like (laughs) it's like a dark souls thing how about night in the woods anybody i liked it i like night in the woods i think it 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 had the potential to be grating and yeah celebratory of a quite selfish youth culture that I find quite insouciant but actually I, I think I think it's possible to play that game and think well this is just some sort of millennial masturbate-a-thon and it's all about how oh, life is so hard for you now and, and you're such a wonderful perfect flower that it's not fair that you can't get ahead but I actually think that it's more balanced than that and that the, the main character and her friends are presented as actually quite insipid and the cause of their own problems sometimes but also victims of a circumstance you know i i i I thought it was it it was fairly perceptive balanced almost what did you think reed uh i'd agree with you i don't want to go uh i don't want to go like too too far in depth in it but just sort of skimming the surface of it i i think i agree with you i Mm. um i was also worried uh before playing it. i put off playing it for quite a while um because I, I just there was something about the the sort of snippets I'd seen and the little demos that they'd put out before, like the uh, the Christmas one or whatever, where the dialogue was just a little too, I don't know, like web comic-y or something, mm-hmm. or, or a little too twittery maybe, mm-hmm. and I was kind of concerned that that was going to be the case for the entire thing, and I think it was genuinely very well written. Um, mm. Uh, on, on like a moment-to-moment level too, not just the the overall story, but I thought the dialogue was really sharp, and uh, mm. I don't know, and it's it's I think really pretty, and I think it, it kind of maybe goes off the rails a tiny bit at the end, but I don't know how you uh, I, I didn't mind that much because it gets a bit Dawson's Creek. Um, yeah, but I, I didn't uh, I didn't mind that much because at that point I was. You know, it kind of felt like I'd gotten most of what I wanted out of, you know, seeing these characters and learning about their stories and everything. And and did, did you I don't feel know. like one of the things that bothered me about it? And it's not the first game to well, it's not the first game to do it. I don't think, but I can't claim to mind right now. Maybe somebody else can. One thing that did, um, it, you know, it, it, if I'm praising it for being balanced and and maybe quite sort of perspicacious and evaluative one of the things that struck me as cowardly and kind of dodging a topic or dodging something was it's one of those games or one of those stories where everyone being a different animal felt like a really really 
non-confrontational analogy for diversity and we're all different and i i I find that really frustrating you know like um, yeah yeah it it makes me feel like, like fantasy games where people talk about the race that they're playing what they mean is the lizard or the cat or whatever <laughs> and I just I want to kind of like grab games by both shoulders and kind of say well just make them fucking people with different races and sexualities and that's what I felt like with Night in the Woods that's one of the things that did kind of get under my skin a little bit was um, yeah using using animals as a sort of placeholder for different kinds of people I, I find a little insulting and sort of reductive and like depersonalizing did uh, did either of you play this Josh or Astrid I did not no, I haven't played this. Okay. I actually didn't even... That's a kind of a good point, Ed, because I never actually considered that the game might not... Exp- I mean, it doesn't have to explain why they're animals, but that it doesn't particularly like seem to have a reason, except that it fits in with the art style better, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that that never... Because they're not like, are they like licking their paws and stuff? Do they act like no, animals, or no. are they just they no. wear and they and they, and they and they talk regularly about their varying sexualities and you know uh, identities and who they are and things. So it's it's, okay, it's so present it's, there thematically. They're just people, yeah. They're people who but, who are quite different because one's a dog and one's a. Animal but or I think they never put any that, focus on that whatsoever. That's life. Like it was just like, hey, this person's a talking owl this person's a talking dog this person it was just like it, it felt like it was just yeah what what animal is this person and it was just like a you know a selection of different animals it never felt like it was yeah, trying maybe. to yeah. Really yeah, portray I'm, I'm, anything um I'm, I'm, yeah i mean it could be like easy visual shorthand for diversity like you're saying it could be i think it's it's more that a, it, it may also be that i'm sensitive to it and frustrated by it because it seems so common that games will kind of take the long way around just to avoid doing this in a in a sort of one-to-one sense just to right. actually avoid putting something like that on the screen um like I, you know i think of like papo and yo where instead of making a game about a, a child and his alcohol <sighs> father we've got this you know absurdly contrived platformer about being pursued by a monster which you know goes past past the point of metaphor <laughs> past the point of analog and, and you know, into the realms of how far out of our way can we go to actually avoid using the word alcoholism or the word abusive? The big game, though, in February, yeah. which I didn't play, but I think I, I think the rest of you did, was Horizon Zero, uh, Horizon, Horizon, Horizon Zero Dawn, <laughs> which I didn't play. Game of the year. Game of the year. Best narrative. Josh. Didn't play. Oh. <laughs> Gone down. <laughs> Well, Astrid and I already talked about this for like an hour and a half. Oh, well, so, yeah, you did an episode yeah. last, didn't you? Yeah, the... yeah. I think, suffice it to say, we were not fans. I don't understand the cult around this game. The, the fucking zero, the zero hours. I don't understand the dawn heads. It's just, it's not a, it's not a good or enjoyable experience. The dawners. Yeah. yeah. Well, the dawner just, party. If I look at... The dawner yeah. party. If I look at, um... <laughs> March, right? So in March, you've got uh, the best of us and the worst of us. Well, you've got Near Automata, got, uh... you've got Ghost Recon Wildlands, you've got Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, you've got, you've got Mass Effect Andromeda, 
Um, Everything. What what I'm basically trying to get at here is that between that, between Horizon Zero Dawn, between um, Sniper Elite 4, which was in February, that was a big game, Um, Yakuza Zero, there was a huge, like a litany, an embarrassment of... And Rain World, of of sandbox games. Um, So if we're going to also talk about kind of trends in 2017, I'm wondering if it felt like there was some sort of leaning towards the open world. Josh, I'm, I'm determined to get you in on this one. <laughs> open world games, do you feel like they they were more abundant this year? Or do you feel like there was, there's been some sort of shift in taste towards them or away from them, or they were less abundant? What do you think? I mean, I wouldn't call that particularly a 2017 theme. Like, I feel like this is something that's been in the works for for years now like probably since grand theft auto 3 and even like ocarina of time you could probably trace it back to um i feel like if you know i feel like every almost every triple a game would be an open world game if if it didn't take you know so much resources wise and and whatnot i think like the extension of that these days is probably more of like the game as platform structure where it's like you have an open world with repeatable things to do in it for the rest of time type of thing, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, the grim vision of the never-ending game. Yeah. Well, this... this no, yeah, I think... Sorry, carry on. I think that's right. I think that's right that, like, the, the open world, which, like, I think, like, reached its peak or, like, its best expression in Witcher 3, just, like, that sort of pure, like... Mm-hmm here's all this stuff you can do and all these stories to find has sort of like mutated into what Josh was saying, where it's like a a place that like refreshes itself and becomes more like a mobile game where it's like you go back and you do this stuff to hit these boxes and get this thing and you can come back tomorrow and do the same loop. It's more of like a, it's become like a granular, more like directed experience. Yeah. It's like a Frankenstein monster of, you know, like procedural generation mixed with like World of Warcraft, carrot on a stick, uh, yeah. never ending treadmill quest lines with like, you know, splash of that open world. It's it's like flavored, you know, structurally as like an open world thing where it's like this living, breathing place, but it's really just a bunch of uh, kind of watered down systems that are not as good as the origin stuff that it's, it's plucking from. Um, yeah. Like I could probably play Minecraft forever, um, but there's no there's no new Minecraft. You know, it, like every game that puts crafting in it is just using a shitty part, you know, of of, <laughs> of Minecraft and and bastardizing it like ad infinitum. So, so yeah. from uh, from a corporate and game maker point of view, the the Grand Theft Auto fives the on, pick a pick a game as a service type game. Yeah, the the Minecrafts, um, the Destiny Two, Destiny Two, Battlefront Two. Yeah, anything like that. Anything where they're they're releasing a game and and the the, the pitch is basically you'll play this for years and years and years, possibly until we release the next one. Basically, from a corporate mm-hmm. point of view, often it makes clear sense. You lock people in, you make lots of money over over a number of years. From a I'm a critic who needs to generate page hits point of view, I can make sense of it because it's you've got a reliable source of traffic. If people are locked into playing this game and you keep publishing articles on it, you perpetuate people playing the game and you, you, you have a steady stream of um, 
people are interested. What I what I find troubling, the, the something that does feel slightly more a 2017 thing than, than any other year so far, is the consumer. Hate the word consumer, but you know the audience preference for this. Um, it seems almost like the dynamic is shifting now away from play lots of different games to pick one and mm-hmm. stick with it. Now I don't know. Does that is that a yeah. new phenomenon? I think it is. I think it's partially necessitated by esports and the rise of, you know, multiplayer games that you could just play forever. I feel like I'm hearing a lot more now being part of like, you know, uh, League of Legends player base and whatnot. There's a lot of people who are like more content with just playing League of Legends for the rest of their life or just mm. multiplayer games for the rest of their life than, you know, maybe there's ever been before. And I think there's a lot of pressure on the other side of games that are not like multiplayer competitive games um, that don't have the benefit of like this, you know, humans playing against other humans, which provides an endless challenge that you can't possibly overcome until you become a pro and maybe like win a world championship and whatnot. Um, I feel like there people are trying, like developers are trying to replicate that in their own games and, and, they're never ever going to be true to that, you know. I you, there's ways that you can do this, and uh, I think in ways that are like pleasing to you know the people who play them and that are done well and thoughtfully. I, like I think of like roguelikes, for instance, like Spelunky, um, that are like these just really neat design cases. Um, but I feel like a lot of that is even a lot of that stuff is getting tossed to the side um, with all these new games that are coming out, where it's just kind of again a monster <laughs> that that intends yeah, yeah. to become this environment that just becomes just the, it's it's a bunch of just focus grouped craps throwing shit at a wall and trying to see what works and not that much of it really does you know yeah yeah and it's i mean you end up playing these things too if you are someone who i don't know maybe is more interested in kind of like i don't know checking out a new world or something or you know this mm. this digital environment that's been made and the stories that can be told within it which is uh, that's a terrible way to describe but sort of like the <laughs> yeah i'm trying not to say like narrative focused video games you know um but if you want those kind of things now if, if that's the kind of game you want to play you don't want to play you know player unknowns battlegrounds or uh, i don't know mario or splatoon or something constantly these games that are just pure yeah you know interaction just like get in there you're not going to really take anything away aside from you know enjoying just interacting with this thing if you want to play these games that are going to like try to tell you some kind of story have some kind of end to them you have to play at this point these kind of like watered down versions of you know you look at something like mass effect Andromeda, which is like 70 hours long or something because it's just like everything is stretched so thin uh Mm -hmm. anyway i kind of there's part of this that to me that feels like maybe we're just rushing toward you you know this like singularity of maybe what games should have been for a while now which is like do i really need seven splinter cell games in seven years or do i really need seven call of duty games in seven years or maybe i could Mm -hmm. just have one destiny every three or four years because it's the same shit being recycled over and over anyway you know right which is like the defeat of art kind of because it, it's like admitting that well, you have nothing uh, new to say for starters we're talking about destiny but that's okay 
Um, I will say, I think, I think there's like, when you look at it from like this top level, like these games that cost like millions of dollars and they have like this mandate behind them to like become the player's life for whatever amount of time. I think that is where we see these trends like sort of starting to fester and turn into these like sort of inexplicable constructions that like look like games but then you see how the developers talk about them and you see how reviewers talk about them and it just it it starts to become unrecognizable but there are I don't know if you play games that aren't triple-a games they're like yeah, yeah. plastering the front of the ps4 store and stuff i think things are still out there but it is becoming more difficult to get that kind of press without having that kind of budget oh that's all right like oh sorry Josh. sorry i i kind of enjoy the fact that it, it's being it seems to be almost like a consolidation of triple-a um yeah. into a few really big platforms that I'm pretty sure will end up getting even narrower and narrower over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that almost affords a little bit more space to have conversations about these sort of like meme games that kind of sprout up, these games that try new ideas. Um, I'm not 100% pessimistic about the games as platform thing because I think it almost makes more space in some ways. Yeah. I follow that logic. I I nevertheless find something slightly insidious and sinister about a product, the allure of which and the promise of which is to take up a lot of your time, uh, remove you from real world, and to sort of almost almost prevent you from looking at other perspectives, or to encourage. I totally agree you, with you for the record. Yeah, it's to encourage you to. Yeah. You know, if, if Grand Theft Auto Five or De- Grand Theft Auto Five and Destiny Two and, and Overwatch are fine in low doses, but when they become the main staple of your cultural diet, not just the not just your video game diet, but perhaps your cultural diet, that I think is a, a problem. And and as someone who barely nowadays because of this wrote about video games, what it what I think is the result of games as platform games as service is that it's now impossible to get something written and published about a game that isn't one of these games as platforms games as service because it's all that people read because it's all that people are playing i feel like yes it, it josh i think that's a fantastic point about it sort of consolidating down you know we fewer sequels more big games you know fewer sequels more platform or game as platform games but what i don't feel like is happening is that they that it may be creating space but the the, the space is sort of arid it, it, it doesn't grow it's it's unfertile there's there's no way that another game can sort of exist and, and populate in a in a in a world that has got these you know conglomerate these these huge sort of ascopartic games that take up so much attention it's it, there's no way for anything else to flourish and thrive um, what what i was going to say in regards to that and what josh was saying about sort of like them consolidating though and the point, I don't know if I'm misinterpreting what you were saying, Josh, but I kind of think of it as terms of, you know, say instead of you have your EA or your Ubisoft or Activision or whoever putting out, you know, seven games that are kind of these kind of like mushy oatmeal games, uh, they're putting out one or two now. And so it's almost like you have everything. It's like this slow process of like, this, 
grossest analogy, like a boil coming to the head, and then there's there's like oh, room Jesus. around it now. You know, it's like you can you can be like, oh, I don't I don't want that. You know, take up your space over there, and it's like contracting, and and there's more room on the margins. And I, this I don't know if this is too like inside or something, but four of us all write uh, about video games, and I I think it's like almost one-to-one with with how writing about things has been where you need this process to like finish taking place kind of uh you want Mm. this this boil to come to it yeah i have yeah let me add a take onto the onto the the bonfire here which is i kind of i i'm gonna like inject uh player unknowns battlegrounds into this conversation because that's a game that I feel like is very much a game as a platform that wants you to kind of stick with it as long as possible and and just like never leave. But I, I feel like it's a little bit less sinister in that respect because of the fact that it is such like a bite-sized thing. You can kind of hop in for a couple hours and it's like also social. So I, I know that, you know, we've already kind of thrown shade at PUBG this podcast uh, with regards <laughs> to like the content surrounding it. But I think as a game to play that doesn't demand all of your time all day i kind of like uh, I, I would kind of like to see games as a platform move more in this direction than say the destiny that wants to eat up all of your hours and like co- is constantly right. putting new carrots on sticks in front of you for the rest of eternity my yeah my thing with PUBG is that if if games as platforms are all sort of isolationist you know play this belong to this community and take on no other then PUBG seems to me almost an epitome of that you know it's like the mm. the, the isolation is game non-pareal because you, would... you're, you're dropped into it on your own and it's it's about survival of the individual and if you're playing that and playing mm. that constantly and sort of always having that message reinforced that just you know it's it's about you that you know read you use the term death of art and I, I think death of art is also kind of related or death of art might be caused by thinking only about yourself you know not what an artist is saying not what the art is saying not another perspective it's only thinking about you and games as platforms i think encourage and engender that mentality and PUBG, i think you're right josh you know it, it is more bite-sized it's not something that sort of swallows your life but i think it does same as a destiny same as grand theft auto 5 threaten to narrow your perception I, oh sorry I, I think there's something interesting going on here which is that now you know with the games is platform conversation there's a lot more compl- <laughs> conflation uh, between esports and and games, um, I I feel like we always talk about esports in the same conversations as we talk about video games. But it's like we don't talk about esports and books as if they're the same genre, or esports uh-huh. and film as if it's the same thing. And I feel like that's what's happening here, where it's like some people pour their life into sports, you know, and and don't read read books or aren't really film people whatsoever, but. I think the fact that we're putting it all under one umbrella is kind of, it, it, it's kind of rough. I, I, I see why we have this singular conversation around the whole thing, but I think it kind of like, I, I don't know if that's like the optimal way to have the conversation about PUBG and say detention or insiders or, or something else yeah. that's coming out. Yeah, I think, yes, I think that's spot on. I like I I 100% see where you're coming from Ed and I I think I'm you know of the same mindset as you usually but it's also like saying yeah it, it's like what Josh is saying it 
but it also feels like we don't have the apparatus in video games because there's no, you know, here's the the hottest take of all that we have no editorial leadership that is is guiding how how criticism and how discussion of these things is shaping is being I, shaped I up. Really, I'm not sure if I personally classify something like PUBG as an esport. It has more to do, I think, with an esport than it does I, with. I don't know. I, I think it's more recreational than that. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I it's like if, playing. I don't, know, I don't know if people are playing it to to necessarily become professional. I don't think people play pickup basketball to become professional either. I yeah. think it's also recreational. But I don't think we're comparing, for say, pickup basketball to or like a game of poker to something like, you know, any any novel well, or it, any film. To be it would clear, almost, like, it, it, yeah. if you're somebody who spends your entire life doing nothing but reading books if you're somebody who spends your entire life doing nothing but playing basketball if you're somebody who plays your entire life doing nothing but playing poker I would argue that that has the potential to be just as detrimental to your perspective of the world and to people as doing nothing but playing PUBG I'm not saying that PUBG is like um, you know apically corrosive I'm saying that dedicating yourself wholesale to one kind of cultural outlet one sort of entertainment outlet is going to narrow your perception in a way that I personally find um, sort of unpalatable you know it, uh, if you're like Bobby Fischer and you play f chess from when you're age 6 until when you're in your, your mid 30s then you know I understand why someone like that can, can lose their minds I'm not saying that PUBG is going to like drive everyone insane but if a problem that we have commonly in video games is that people aren't playing enough different stuff and that they're, they're too attuned and too used to playing the same kind of genres I don't think PUBG uh -huh. a competitive game involving guns online is necessarily sort of good for anybody's sort of broadening of mind and if it's locking you into itself the way that it does the same as yeah any other game or any other sport or any other pastime that has the potential to lock in lock you into it and make you single-minded i i'd say they're really yeah, detrimental potentially um so and pubg is is yeah the, the same kind of thing um so to so I guess to add just to what you're saying to that point, and I guess bringing back the point that I was making earlier about the conflation of esports, and I say other, you know, more single player, more narrative driven games, is the fact that like we call it all video games is maybe um, is maybe covering up the fact that uh, that this disc there's like this big gap between people playing these games as platforms and having like a more quote healthy diet of different types of video games you know what i'm saying like if someone's a yeah. gamer we don't differentiate between someone who only plays league of legends and who is is playing a bunch of different indie games and likes stories and video games and mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. read into the themes and is having a more quote healthy media diet mm. i what i was yeah. going to say too is like a lot of what this kind of conversation makes me think of uh both for audiences and for you know writers and so forth is it, it's like if you you said i love watching tv and there was no difference between <laughs> watching movies and watching you know reality shows or just only watching sports you know only watching uh baseball right. constantly like those those are not the same thing and i you know i agree with you ed in terms of like i don't know i don't want to be prescriptive as well i my personal viewpoint is i think variety of of, of art and entertainment is good. I think it exposes you to more viewpoints. Um, but it, it, it's like this video game conversation, exactly like what Josh is saying, where uh, something like Battlegrounds is wholly different to something like, I don't know, Inside or or 
off-peak or something, you yeah. know, or just these things. Yeah. It's, it's like talking about, you know, I, I watched a movie today and or I watched, you know, football highlights for 27 hours straight and it's like supposed to be the same thing and they're completely different things. Yeah, I don't think that like the that I can like speak to like why or how people should consume what they're consuming like I don't know if it does anyone any favors to flatten like Josh is saying like PUBG which is a game that there is no like narrative layer to it except what happens on like the playing field of that game so to speak and I don't think that anyone is like uh, giving it a pass or ignoring or underplaying like some kind of like critical meatiness to that game that we could be digging into but instead everyone's just talking about how fun it is like because it is I think it is closer to an esport though it is not like something that was created specifically for esports like Dota or something I do think that the reasons people play and the things they get out of it are very different from yeah picking up like I don't know Hellblade or whatever or like Nier and I think that not to Christ, I'm gonna say it, but that's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Air horns, yeah. Um, no, but I think that PUBG can be what it is, and people can, although only a few people have, write like really good critical takes about it. But at the end of the day, like, it does not supplant or diminish the importance of games that are focused on like narrative or mechanical deconstruction or whatever the hell is like another alternative to that kind of play like i do think that variety is um good i think one thing that's kind of like irksome about the whole thing is that you see uh that that developers who have nothing to do with esports or who had nothing to do with esports are attempting to lit or like even with procedural generation or uh this type of stuff are are actively inspired by it because it, it can become your one thing that you consume at all times. Yeah. The fact that that's yeah. like inspiration, there's like an almost gamification of gaming occurring. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Where it's just meant to be a never ending <laughs> treadmill. I think that's what's kind right. of gross about it. Like, you don't have authors who are like, I want a book that you can live in for, you know, <laughs> the next 30 years and only pay me for the, you, you know, it's just, I feel like we don't have these these corporate interests that are uh that are lifting these models in such like a transparent way in the way that we've seen it happen in video games in like the past two years and i think that's what makes it feel kind of like dangerous and kind of gross yeah uh, even yeah more than maybe it might be it's it's the same as all this stuff like the you know the games as a service thing which I, i feel like battlegrounds is kind of to the side of that to an extent but it's it's just like all the stuff where you see uh, just the money coming through more than any kind of vision mm-hmm. which I, I yeah I don't know and it's I, I think in terms of the critical landscape in games it's it's not it's not directed enough it's not healthy enough to support sort of like yes. narrower uh, you know I, I think you make a site and you talk about battlegrounds and you talk about you know different esports and things well, maybe yeah yeah i mean this is i wanted to say something about this because this is um something i've been thinking about a lot in the absence of 
uh, I don't write anywhere regularly right now, so I'm sort of just on the outside looking except in. For, and I think for that bullet points. Well, bulletpointsmonthly.com. Uh, <laughs> but I there is no equivalent right now in video game writing criticism, whatever you want to call it, to like. And I'll use the example of like film because that's I guess what I'm most versed in. But like a site like Reverse Shot or Film Comment or Sight and Sound that are like they cover film as like a spectrum and they're not they don't have to just talk about like the Marvel Extended Universe or like what is the Universal doing with the monster movies like and in games I think the press is beholden to sort of making their own bed to a certain extent of they cover things that become popular and then they're forced to cover those into infinity basically like there's a certain frustration I see from some games writers that there's they sort of have to box themselves in because of the demands of their audience which is an audience that in turn they helped create and that sort of self-perpetuating cycle has just I think taken over and that to sort of bring it back I think that is why a game like PUBG can feel more insidious than it actually is because everyone A is talking about it and B has to talk about it to get what they need from that coverage. Right, and this has also been right. the, this has also been the year, you know, as someone who's written in this space for, you know, years now, where it became next to impossible to land articles about small games. Um and yeah. and it does feel like oh, you know, do you have something to pitch on Destiny or Battlegrounds or, you know, these yeah. things these I mean, you have yeah, you have major like figures in this space saying it's not their job to like curate which leaves open the question of like what their job or, is or whose job that is then if it is yeah. not yeah like who is the person who like brings these smaller games to light and gives them the attention that they deserve and like the and when i say smaller games i mean i'm not talking about like something somebody made by themselves there's like a whole spectrum of stuff beneath what merits like regular and detailed coverage yeah well, let's do it because um, you know I, I think it's I think it's useful to try and keep these episodes below a certain time frame because I don't want to take up too much. I don't I don't want to PUBG people's <laughs> podcasting. No, I, w- <laughs> I want this podcast to be our listeners only. Yeah, this is their hobby. Oh, yeah. Um, but let's do it. Let's do um, favorite games of the year. Oof. You know, may, maybe below a certain budget, below a certain size, below a certain... No, 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 just... No. Or just favorite games of the year. Well, so I can't... I, yeah, let's, yeah, let's so not say, say oh, this one's great, but, you know, it obviously can't compare to Horizon Zero Dawn, because it's well, not no. as expensive. Yeah, just... <laughs> it does. But anyway, throw up some names. Who's going first? Near. Near. Yeah, I... I agree. That's a good poll. Nier for me is like probably that's probably my favorite game of the year. So. Game of the, game of the year. Game of the year. We covered it on the site. What? Um, there's a hater in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> there's a evil machine. Um, what are you talking about? I'll I'll say this. At uh, around the time I played Nier, Automata. Automata. Um, I I thought, okay, I I wasn't. I think we we talked about this when we did the podcast, you know, back seven hundred years ago, um, 
humans were still alive. And uh, <laughs> I, I think I said during it too, I wasn't entirely convinced by Nier until literally, I think, the last you know half hour of the entire thing. It, it kind of it made good on something that I wasn't you know 100% sold on, on how it was presenting it. Um, but then yeah. at the same time, you know, I, I like Nier a lot. It stuck with me uh, quite a bit, and there's a lot I really like about it. There are things I'm not so wild about with it. Um, when I finished... Not perfect. Yeah, flawed, another flawed masterpiece. Flawed. <laughs> um, but it's it's a game like also like uh, Yakuza 0, where uh, if you, you know, if it, I thought in May, um, what are some of the best games of the year? I'd say, oh, those ones are good. You know, let's let's see. I, I kind of don't think they'd hang with, uh, with some other stuff. Like, let's see what else comes out. And I think it kind of yeah. speaks to something about the the kind of mainstream in this year that those ones are right at the top for me by by the end of the year. Well, yeah, I I don't want to diminish how much I like them either by like saying that the hype didn't deliver on some other games for me because I think near. And I think part of the reason maybe you didn't like it until the last half hour is because it bothers to tell an actual story with, like, an arc that, like, does have... It, like, plants seeds, and those seeds aren't paid off until the end. It's not just sort of, like, this, like, fleshy mass of things to do that sort of just rolls along out of inertia until you feel, like, stopping. Let's say it kind of, like, loses like it. its way and makes you lose faith in it for a good, like, 15 hours, maybe. You know? Which fifteen hours? Because I do, I do think the first. The end of the first. I think the first time you play it, for like... yeah, the first time you play it, it demands a lot from you in terms of like faith that this is going to go somewhere. Because necessarily, who you're playing as in that first fifteen hours or so is not privy to the whole situation. So you sort of you come into it with blinders on, and you have to sort of accept that those will come off at some point. And if they didn't, obviously there would be nothing to talk about yeah but. yeah i mean i, I don't want to go i don't want to like you know reevaluate it yeah we did away cover this then. yeah <laughs> unless uh any of you are like chomping at the bit to to really near it up josh is this your is this your goatee is this your game of the year yeah it's my goatee there's just okay. nothing like it in my that i've played that is that does what it does um, and yeah. and might not be for a long time until Yoko Taro makes another game, <laughs> probably. Yeah, I uh, I think I may have said this on a Horizon podcast, but the if you look at like the plots of Horizon and Near, they're actually markedly similar, mm. but the way those two stories are told is a uh, wildly different. Mm-hmm. Near has I don't know. I always talk about this. It's like one of the the low bars to clear. But it's still not to diminish it, um, but it does feel the entire way through. I think, aside from a, a few stretches, it, it's mostly a game that feels like it knows what it's doing, you know, which is which is something yeah. I appreciate. And it has uh, like a defined aesthetic too. The sound and the the visual design, everything. It's it's everything is working toward a common purpose, which again is the low bar, but. I, I don't know. It it is definitely Well Yeah. I, I don't want to be like too hard on it just because I'm you know, <laughs> making a case for it not being like my favorite thing I played this year. It's one of my favorites. 
Well, what was the what was the Reed McCarter game of the year? You don't even want me to say. Are you gonna say yeah. Hellblade? Oh shut the oh, fuck! fuck. <laughs> what was better than it? Observer. Near. Norwood Suite was better. Observer. Magikarp Jump. Observer was not fucking better than Hellblade. Hellblade was so. I think. I think. Yeah, I Ed, think. Have you the, ever considered that maybe right uh, now you're being it is. condescending? <laughs> to I'm me. always, I'm constantly being condescending. Damn. Conde- I was gonna say Condoleezza Rice, but that's a crap joke. Really terrible. <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't like Hellblade. I know we, we did. We, we talked about that on the show, didn't we? We did Hellblade. What about? Yeah. Okay, you... What about my uh, less, probably less controversial number two? I think I think it would be my number two runner-up. I think would be Echo. I think was really. I wish uh, I could play. I need to play that. Hell yeah, yeah. Reed. Yeah, Josh has played it. That's my boy right there. That man, that <laughs> that game has that game's got something going. It's uh, quiet and and really striking, and it's very intelligent and is not in a hurry to tell you that it's intelligent, and it's just okay. And then how is that not better than Hellblade? Um, because Hellblade, because I I like stuff where there's uh, really just you know, bloody, muddy, pagan shit with gods being part of the natural landscape and, and people screaming Hellblade, in the dark. I think Hellblade is more daring. I think, like, it's trying more. Um, I think Echo's better executed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if I was to make an argument for Hellblade over Echo, that would be it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't... Uh... You know, I have talked about Hellblade. I I fucking descended into the depths and fought God of the Underworld, Ed Smith, for an hour and a half talking about it. <laughs> and and uh, I, I I don't know. It's just that that game struck something in me. I I found it. I I 100% understand it's not a game that's going to appeal to everyone. But my sort of like specific interests and and stuff I like it. It really hit a lot of things for me, and I I found it just really fascinating and uh, you know kind of like not to overstate it too too much but like awesome in the way of like it it was something that made me at times feel you know sort of like kind of like grabbed by it and and, in its thrall which is not something that Mm -hmm. you know that happens that often it felt special in that way to me yeah I I can't discount that but I will say I was um not impressed with a lot of that game and I think I was expecting that sort of experience but I think it doesn't it doesn't really know what it's tapping into to a certain point like it gets in its own way yeah that's more often than not that's and I think I just I couldn't get past that like by the time it sort of begins to subvert or like maybe even just dial back some of its worst tendencies, you're like two-thirds of the way through the game. And I wish that I could have gotten into it more. There's like a... I do think some of the... like There's a few like fights in there um, where you're fighting like a bunch of demons and it just keeps going on and you start to feel that sort of like... Just like a on a primal level, just like desperate. Mm-hmm. And I think more... That is the emotion that I think that game is striving for across the board is just sort of like desperation and like hopelessness and I don't think I ever felt that because just because 
it it's it has some bad things in it, but we don't have to get into it. <laughs> Ed, do you remember the guy who talks uh when you like go up to the stones and you have memories? His name was like Druth. <laughs> uh, the British guy. No, it wasn't. Even, I thought he was Irish. I thought he was Scottish. It's all the same to you, Englishman, isn't it? You've got you've got to go <laughs> to the underworld, somewhere <laughs> and find the stone of Limpflom, which will unlock the gates of Neverwellella. <laughs> but be careful, the Norsemen warn of a terrible <laughs> curse upon the land that'll fuck you up if you're that's, not careful. That's what that's what I was looking for. You're you're absolutely <laughs> fucking mental, Seth. <laughs> sort your fucking head out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember him. I hadn't thought about that guy since I played <laughs> since I played Hellblade. I I uh yeah, I like that guy. Except you ruined him for me completely by sending me a series. Have you of... noticed the subtext, Senua? <laughs> <laughs> Game. The Norsemen speak of an undertone. This <laughs> <laughs> might not actually be happening. Oh dear. Yes, I remember yeah. him. I um, one of my favorite games of this year was. Uh, it's a rally driving game. It's Dirt Four, which oh, I, I can't imagine. Come many. on! I know, I know, and it sounds like it sounds what like Get Real, fuck? right? Um, but I I got a hell of a lot out of that. I I find it. I thought it was dramatic. I thought it was tense. I thought it looked great. It sounded great. It was sort of a simulation, but it was also there was a, a, a huge sense of stakes and like almost like self worth on the line. You know, when when you made a mistake in that game, it it wasn't in a kind of Cupheadian, dark, and <laughs> punishing way. It was more like God. I just, I, I feel ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I was really like near the knuckle, and really, uh, I was. Uh, yeah, I was never. I was never bored with it. I, I you learn a lot playing it. You learn a lot about rally, um, and I, I loved it to bits. So I thought Dirt Four was was really engaging, really fascinating. Uh, I, I did like Observer, but we've talked about that already at length. I did like the Norwood Suite, but I, we've talked about that on this show as well. I um, I have a list. I, I, I sort of wrote down everything that I played this year as I play it. I'm trying to look at um, things that specifically came out of this year. Let me have a look here. Um, I, I you know we we Nier was definitely interesting. It was definitely interesting. There's no shortage of things <laughs> to talk about when it comes to Nier Automata. You know, that's a game that you can discuss yeah. kind of endlessly. Um, there's actually not much else I've played this year that I that I like. I can I can definitely I can definitely construe worst games of the year. One of them which would be Agents of Mayhem, uh, which I which I had to review and was the I can't remember the name of the studio now. Is it Volition? They still make those games. It's the Saints Row um, people, right? Yeah, so it's a variation on Saints Row, and it's it's just it's a uh. really stupid, infantile, and ugly game because you've got these characters who are drawn and voiced like you know Saturday morning cartoon characters, something like Power Rangers or Beetleborgs or Recess or something. Um, but at the same time, they're really obnoxious and they they kill. You can just you can kill civilians, and then you just run around killing civilians and. You're, you're gunning down civilians while your character's making jokes about the fact that he needs to get more Instagram followers, and it's it's <laughs> such like a 
It's that you, you're basically playing the entire game as this squad of sociopaths, and the game never pays any heed to it. In, in fact, it's sort of built as part of the fun, the fact that you can gun down civilians and your character makes jokes about it. Huh? It sounds it like you're really, just describing really video games in general. But this was this is when I, I can't quite I can't quite articulate why Agents of Mayhem felt more sort of disgraceful than like a Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> um, it was probably something to do with, with how much it wanted you to consider it levied and amusing yeah. and like raw escapism and just charming and whatever. Uh, but was actually, yeah. you know, insane. So I really I really hated Agents of Mayhem because it was it was and it was boring as well and a really dull city and, and all kinds of things. I really hated us just been well charted Ghost Recon Wildlands. Um and I thought Prey was terrible as well this year. This is just all the games that we've covered this year. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something else. Have been bad. Have been bad. Forza Motorsport 7. Didn't like that. <laughs> um, Dirt, Dirt <laughs> 4. <laughs> great. Forza Motorsport Yeah, Dirt 7. 4. Did we, did, near, did we talk no. about Outlast 2 on this show? Because that was another, oh. another game. Reed, you reviewed that. I, I, reviewed, I think we both reviewed it, didn't we, Reed? Oh shit! Yeah, did you? Yeah, you reviewed it, Ed, and I wrote this big, you know, asshole piece of uh, like talking about like sex and religion and horror and stuff. I I think that game was, I don't know. It's like the first game. It it wants to show off how much it knows about some you know quote unquote taboo subject, and then ends up just like being the most conservative. Uh, mm. like frightened of the world kind of version of it. So the first game, it's like, oh no no no! Like we research the hell out of you know the mentally ill, and it's like also yeah they're awful and frightening. Yeah. Stay yeah. stay away from <laughs> anyone who has depression. They'll try yeah. to murder you. Um, and then this one's like, oh yeah, we really researched like the the evils of cults and Christianity and everything. And then it's like, you know, uh, by the way, if you have sex, you're uh, you're a piece of shit gonna burn in hell and you should be scared all the time <laughs> that's a very reduced way of putting it but yeah yeah we Someone should kind of thing that they really disliked this year wildlands yeah well, we've done that we've really done that yeah i like went on a wildlands tour that's, after that, that one that dartboard <laughs> with wildlands pinned to it is falling apart <laughs> i want to hear more from from josh i want to hear about the Calixto stinkers of 2017. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... You know what, you guys? I, I'm i a true gamer in that I love every <laughs> game I ever play. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I honestly like... You didn't play any this 6 is out something of 10 that I've, this year. This is something that I have slowly discovered about myself as I've played more video games, but I'm never I never leave a video game thinking like, wow, I just wasted uh, so much of my fucking life. I don't I don't know. I think it's like maybe it's bargaining, maybe I'm just really good at like <laughs> I'm just really good at apologizing for stuff in my mind. But I don't play something and I'm like I'm going to remember how shitty this was for the rest of my life really. Um and you know, there are like a bunch of notable exceptions, but not too many that I played this year. Um to be honest like yeah I, I and I think another thing is that I choose very carefully the games that I play so I didn't play Agents of Mayhem 
<laughs> I didn't play that last two. I guess you know what? I played some Evil Within, and I was I stopped playing it after three hours because it seemed kind of boring. You know what? Uh, Maybe the the a big thing is here, Josh, is that you're not reviewing games lately, are you? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a big part of it. I feel like that's a good I, way. So to I only get... really. Sorry. Yeah. No, my diet is mostly of games that like I f- I find interesting, and then they turn out to be just as interesting as I thought they'd be, or less interesting. But I don't have any hard feelings <laughs> towards them. I don't really have like hard feelings toward a lot of these games. It's just you play them. And no, yeah, no. And it's just like oh, that was yeah, that was bad news. Yeah, I guess Evil Within Two would be that because you know there was some people, namely Patrick Klepek of uh, of Waypoint dot com. Not to name names, but he well, was saying like it's supposed, it's like nobody's <laughs> <laughs> he's like nobody's gonna play this, but it's a really great game, and I felt like playing a survival horror game, so I played it, but it was really fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Josh yeah. said, "I'm gonna play this. <clears throat> I'm gonna prove this headline. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna prove him." Um, now it looked interesting. I want to. I want to give a special shout out, uh, a little infamy award. <laughs> To a little game called Persona 5. Because I... <laughs> so I still regularly play, like, Personas 3 and 4. And I liked Catherine with, like, reservations. Uh, but Persona 5 is, like, sort of, like, shockingly inept. In basically every way that does not involve them making the game, like, more streamlined from the old versions. So they do, like, a lot of good, like, menu stuff. But on, like, every other level, the game is, like, just kind of unbearable. Like, it it opens with, like, some of the, like, worst calibrated, like, sexual assault slash, like, sexual gag stuff in a video game that I think I've ever seen. It wants you to be, like, horrified by the sexual abuses of this gym teacher while also thinking that the character he's abusing looks hot in lingerie like in the same scene and that's sort of how you're introduced to this game is by this like sort of just (laughs) completely bunk dichotomy that they establish and never really interrogate and then there's so many like obviously it's a long game but there's so many plot lines they just sort of whiff on there's like this cat character who it's heavily hinted that the cat is like has this big backstory and his backstory ends up being like pretty much what you'd expect. He's like a and god they just, or something, right? He's like he was like a created by the guy in the velvet room, so like the architect of the entire series. Um it's just I don't know. It's gross and it's like infantile. The translation is really difficult to get through, which is like a big hurdle for a game like this because it's ninety nine percent text. And so you're reading these like essentially like broken English sentences um, to try and like get into these characters it's, it keeps introducing people you're supposed to care about and all this shit it's just it's a complete mess and uh, don't play it I played it sorry I, yeah I thought, you did what did you thought, think aside from uh, some of that stuff that you're talking about it is very like infantile but it just that that rhythm of it for some reason was was just like just living life you know just going to school except in this fantasy version of school you have your cat in your desk you can look at your cat yeah i know but i don't know it's they do that better in the previous games yeah but it's not 
I think this this game tips the balance toward like giving you too much stuff to do and like constantly yeah. bugging you yeah. to do shit. No, no, I like I I don't have really strong feelings about this game. I will say though, when you yeah. the way you put it with the gym teacher, where it's oh he sexually assaulted this girl, and then don't you the player think she's hot? Um, did very much remind me of like the young just... zero thing of of hey this this woman was a uh, you know kidnapped into sex trafficking and then oh let's go sex traffic some girls for laughs yeah it's like the same kind of like but like i don't even yeah i don't even think persona 5 is like in any way defensible like if you want to mount an argument oh yeah, yeah. A zero can... i think that's yeah. possible but persona is just no no yeah. i know exactly what you mean and like i i like some i like some gross shit that like should personally offend me but this was like sort of unbelievable uh so it's the so uh, game, game of the year. Yep. Why did why didn't we say the ones that were good after we said the ones that were bad? Now we're <laughs> Well, I have a few more that I like. Did anybody play The Tea Room by Robert That Yang? was good. Uh yeah, I think I did, yeah. Yes. Did That's you Josh? Game. No. Sorry. Are you familiar with the stuff. Robert oh. Yang? Oeuvre? Yeah, I'm a little bit familiar. I think the t- the tea room yep. may have been my favorite of his that I've played. Yeah, I think it's really sharp. He's really good at like so he always gives like an artist statement with his stuff, but for some reason that never feels suffocating when mm-hmm. you play it. Like you don't play it and be like, Well, he already told me all this shit. It feels like he's only opening the door to like what you could extrapolate from his work. And I think the tea room has like some actually like really tight like mechanical flourishes like there's some cool like uh sort of like cat and mouse stuff taking place where but you're sort of fixed in one place in the game so it's all like cues and stuff it's a really interesting game yeah and i I think so much of it too is like a a lot of stuff that has always been great in his work kind of like uh just focused into something like really uh really effective in this one like the the humor yeah. of his stuff in this one when you <laughs> the first time a dude pulls down his pants and you see this like Cronenberg <laughs> like f- like flesh gun monster and just like everything about it is so funny but it's also it does give you that sense of you know th- this is this kind of like subversive thing in this in this historical context and this kind of like emotional feeling to to a political yeah. or cultural point that's and it's also effortless, you know. Yeah. It's it's. That's the thing, yeah. It never feels like you're like in a gallery, like with somebody watching you while you pick up a controller, yeah. and you have like five minutes to like read this piece of art. Like it's very, yeah. Effortless is a good word. He's good, Robert Yang. <laughs> yeah, I, I think twenty twenty seventeen <laughs> is the year he breaks through. <laughs> I hope so. No, I mean I don't. His, he's been around for a while, right? And this. Uh... No, yeah, but I mean. There were like, there was like one article per site about the tea room when it came out. It's disappointing. It's yeah. It was like this game has some dicks. But... Play this gun dick game. Yeah. You won't. But it's really Josh. You should definitely play it since you wrote an entire profile of Robert <laughs> Yang. Yeah, I'm going to. It's... <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad oh, you I'm mentioned that it. one. That one's uh, I think very cool. Yeah. Um, Is that it? Is that it? Is that 2017? The Little Nightmares. 
I like. Little Nightmares was good. I like that. Uh, Detention and a Mortician's Tale were the others on my list, I think. Yeah. I have also played Detention, and that game's neat. Ed, I think you haven't played that, have you? I've given Detention <sighs> this year to people. Played Detention. <laughs> and that was a, a teacher <laughs> joke right there, too. That was a, that was a joke for all the, all the teachers listening. <laughs> All the people in the profession. Um, I, I think no, you, I've not played <clears throat> I think you'd like it. I have a feeling you'd like it as a yeah. Silent it Hill is... appreciator. Ooh. Yeah, it's allegorical, but it's not like allegorical to the point where you're not playing people. Right. Like it, it's. Uh, oh, it's I have seen it. Yeah, I know the one. I've not played it, but I've seen it being played. Um, I'll get around to that one. I've got a. I've got a few that I need to do before the end of the year, really. But yeah, I'll get around to detention. And um, oh, what was the other one that you mentioned? You said detention. Echo. Mortician's tale. Mortician's tale. Echo. Echo. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, yeah. I replayed Road Rash on the PS One. <laughs> that was that was great. <laughs> that was one of the best experiences I had with a game this year. Mm. That doesn't really count because it's from twenty-two years ago. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, yeah, I think that's honestly it, except for uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Lol. <laughs> you can everything. <laughs> everything was good too. Oh, everything! I, yeah, I liked everything. Everything was good. That that game. Uh, <clears throat> I liked Mountain, but it didn't it didn't uh, blow my mind or anything. But everything was very. I don't know. It also felt unique in uh, in a way that it could. Uh, it's like this portal to exactly what he wants your mind space to be can achieve in about two minutes of playing that game, which I think is really, really <laughs> cool. I don't know. I feel like this yeah. this episode is like kind of necessarily all over the place, so I feel like I haven't mentioned things, and also like I've been talking too much or not enough, and I don't know. This episode has some wild tonal shifts. <laughs> not- not unlike um, oh, no. Yakuza 0 Wolfenstein 2 or, or other hit <laughs> games from the year 2017 <laughs> if we start okay. talking about Wolfenstein 2 we'll, uh, I imagine we'll be here for a very long time yeah Yeah. Well, no. we've uh, save that for 2018 month maybe <laughs> alright well that's 2017 in summary but of course you can go back over the rest of bullet points <laughs> content on uh, bulletpointsmonthly.com or bulletpointspodcast.com and you can see the deeper dives that we've made into this year's big games. We've done Resident Evil 7, we've done Prey, we've done Strafe, we did Wildlands, Near Automata, Strafe never aired. World War 2. Didn't it? No, there was like an audio problem. So. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we never, we never, we did do it though. We did. <laughs> we recorded but, yeah, it. No, but, but no one can listen <laughs> to it. Um... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, a lot of the games that came out this year we've we've looked at in, in more detail. Uh, so you can go and find all that stuff on our websites. And if you like all of that, and if you've liked this, and if you like us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash bullet points and give us some money. I feel like I should finesse that. We should, uh, we should have a sting where yeah. we play the Spinal Tap song. Give me some money. And we should yeah, but like- I... It could be a kind of a segment that everyone looks forward to. I have to try and think of a different <laughs> way of wording. Give me some money. 
And then one time we can play Money by Pink Floyd. Money by... These are great a Sharon Jones song, too, about money. Those things have never been done in audio before, I don't think. No. No. When asking for money. We could play music by the artist P Money. What if we had the sound of a cash register just opening, and then somebody going, Oh, yeah! <laughs> huh? We'll figure it out. Uh, by the end of by the end of 2018, I imagine that we'll be we'll be making like thirty thousand a month. Yeah, that, that's the well, goal. Yeah, yeah, I heard Astrid's going to become a <laughs> going to start really embracing the uh, alt right movement, and mm-hmm. I think I think that'll help us pick up a little a little steam. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to become an alt right cam girl. Yeah. And then, so uh, look out for that development next Ed, year. I heard was going to be streaming a lot more. Well, I, I've bought a hat, yeah. and <laughs> I've I've bought a hat, and um, I've I've gotten sort of what I, what I've done is I've developed a style where um, I'm angry, uh-huh. but I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm angry, but I'm also I also don't really mean it. You know what I mean? Right. So that's that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a hat on and uh-huh. I'm going to sit in front of my camera on my laptop and I'm going to talk a lot about how uh, you shouldn't buy games and uh-huh. then I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a lot of games and talk about them. <laughs> I'm not gonna ever address that hypocrisy. Hmm. I'm probably I'm I'm right. probably probably going to be called something the something Brit. You know, yeah. the adjective Brit. Maybe I'll do that. The adjective Brit is a sort of postmodern <laughs> joke. Josh, and, um, any any big uh, rebranding plans of your own for 2018? Um, I'm probably going to say I'm Mexican more. It's mm. my goal. Okay. I'll probably say that more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Mexican, everybody. Oh. Well, you, you could you could definitely work that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm, I'm Canadian more and try to make that like a thing. Maybe that can tie into the, <laughs> maybe that can tie into the alt right stuff a little bit too, if I stress it well, properly. Well, Astrid can be the angry American. Josh, you can be ang- the angry Mexican. Reed, you can be the angry Canadian. I can be the angry Brit. <laughs> and theoretically, by the end of next year, we'll all be millionaires. <laughs> we can then we can have a podcast network called the Angry G8. Eventually, yeah, I don't, I don't That's like, good. I don't like politics and and feelings in my games. Says the angry Brit. <laughs> says the angry gamer. <laughs> Keep your opinions out of my games. Says the cynical gamer. Don't don't tread on my, don't tread on my games. That's that's gonna be my yeah. my banner, for my YouTube channel. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be the snake from that game, Snake Pass. Um, but, but but it's gonna have uh, you know the the whole thing. Right. So what have our listeners got to look forward to in 2018? Probably very little elections. <laughs> um, we've got we've got Wolfenstein 2. We'll probably do Far Cry 5. We might even do some sort of secret project that we've been discussing. Is that right? Mm. That might come to fruition at last. Mm. You can't Ooh, talk about sim- it until until it's ready to be no. unveiled. In case. When that happens. 
it's actually here this is good uh uh josh you understand marketing i'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna tease it more by by giving more details it's actually quite in keeping with the nature of the project that we can't talk more about it that we Ooh. have to be sneaky about it Ooh, it is isn't it <laughs> it is isn't it it's that's that's very um i'm trying to think of a pun con but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's right you guys really have me intrigued yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're on tenter hooks um <laughs> right so that's that's 2018 as well and red dead redemption 2 that might be i want to play that one right. i want to play yakuza that'll 6 be, be i want okay. to convince you suckers to do yakuza i'll do that there mm. what one down <laughs> yeah. one to go sold <laughs> all right well that was 2017 um I'd like to say that it's probably going to be better next year, but I, I don't think it will. Um, I, I think, I think... I think we sort of with games and game criticism and gaming culture, that like a, a wave started to build circa 2012, and this was the year it all kind of crested and broke and rolled back and now it's going to be years before it gets into a position where personally I can really give much of a shit about them again but during that period so of time just bear in mind yeah, sorry go on during that period of time you can uh, you can read bullet points and you can listen to bullet points and you can uh, follow all of us including our dear friend of the show Josh Calixto he's on he's on Twitter I've heard I am on Twitter at hi there Josh. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but don't don't even try to follow me. What's your What's your snap? I don't remember. I don't use that. I've never. Heard. Josh, uh, Josh has his own podcast, which uh, he should plug here because mm-hmm. it's really good. Oh yeah, you got everybody listening should listen to also this other podcast called Bad End Podcast. In, instead, they should listen to that one instead. <laughs> instead, yeah. you should listen to them both at the same time, one in each ear. <laughs> they do, yeah. Some of them yeah. sync up pretty uncannily. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that Wizard of Oz Pink Floyd thing. If you if you play an episode of Oz and an episode of Bad End at the same time, they uh, rhyme. I'm doing some focus <laughs> testing of the angry Mexican over at Bad End. So if you guys, <laughs> if anybody wants to see that, what that looks like in action, go check it out. You should get oh. in on the ground floor on that one. <laughs> you can find Reed. You're on Twitter at Reed McCarter. That's Ashford, correct. You're on Twitter at Hastapura. I'm on yes. Twitter uh, at Most Sincerely Eds, and this show is on Twitter at Bullet Points VG. And on that bombshell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll conclude 2017. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's thank our you. Pleasure. Anyone mm-hmm. got anything else to say before this year ends? Oh, 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 it's Santa Claus. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> bye. All right. Bye-bye. See ya.